everybody from 8 to 80 basically is familiar with wearing blue jeans. You know, it's not like, you know, maybe 50 years ago an 80-year-old would say, I'm too old to wear blue jeans. Now, of course, 80-year-olds wear blue jeans. Everybody grew up wearing blue jeans. And so it's almost like they're a uniform for Americans. But on the flip side, we all wear blue jeans to look as individual as we can. So it's this weird idea to me that they're like the most common piece of clothing we all have. And yet, because you can wear them in so many different ways and with so many different things, they make each of us feel like an individual, like we're expressing ourselves. You know, we're wearing our personality on the outside by the way we wear our blue jeans and, and what we choose to wear them with. So it's this funny little paradox of like, they are almost like a uniform at this point because you'd be hard pressed to stop somebody on the street and have them tell you, oh, I don't own any blue jeans. Of course they do. This is The Way Podcast. The militias needed to have a heads up that I was coming. I personally think they didn't, you know, like in chess. So that's how deep the addiction goes. I've been incarcerated most of my life. Having a conversation with Or they've been given no option, either join or die. Snipers, and it was a military. J. Cole came and hung out most of the fire session. I'm standing at the studio blast looking out into the studio. If you want to know more about The Way Podcast, go to podcasttheway.com. This is Bill with The Way Podcast on FM 91.7, WHOS stores at the top of the hour, and also on WRIU 90.3 South Kingston at the top of the hour. Today, I'll be talking with James Sullivan about blue jeans. He is the author of Jeans, a cultural history of an American icon, and also the documentary Riveted, the history of jeans. And for some fun facts before playing today's episode, feel free to skip. There's a few. Rivets are used on jeans to make them stronger, especially on pockets. Making of one pair of Levi's 501s requires 37 separate sewing operations. The oldest known pair of Levi's jeans were found in 1997, and they were 100 years old. The first jeans came in two styles, indigo blue and brown cotton duck. The first name for jeans was waist overalls. 20,000 tons of indigo are produced annually for dyeing of jeans, and the name denim comes from the name of a sturdy fabric called serge, which was initially made in Nimes, France. Statistically, every American owns on average seven pairs of blue jeans, and approximately 450 million pairs of jeans are sold in the United States every year. More facts, if you want to see them on the website, be sure to go to podcasttheway.com. Follow, subscribe, give a five-star rating. Every little bit helps. Again, that's podcasttheway.com. Blue jeans, it's such an interesting topic in itself. Like It's very sort of its own category. But how did the blue jeans even like begin? How does the story of blue jeans start? Well, I mean, it, the, the, one of the interesting things is that people seem to think that there's like this sort of moment in time uh, dating back to the uh, origins of Levi Strauss and Company, which obviously are the makers of Levi's, who have told the story for years that they basically invented blue jeans. So uh, that would put the origin of blue jeans in the year 1873 when Levi Strauss first started producing them. But the truth is, it's not like we human beings had no blue jeans in 1872 and suddenly had them in 1873. 
the the truth is really that not just Americans but Europeans were wearing work pants that you would recognize today as like sort of an early form of blue jeans, you know, at least a few hundred years before that sort of line in the sand, that 1873 date that Levi Strauss likes to use. Um, the difference is that while sort of miners and farmers and construction workers and, you know, whatever, both in Europe and America were wearing uh, blue denim work pants they were homespun. They were made like most clothes in, in, in those days, made at home by someone who knew how to, you know, somebody in the family usually knew how to sew and, and, and made clothing for the rest of the family. And uh, what Levi Strauss and a few other companies in the late 1800s did was, um, you know, whittled down the, the, the uh, design of blue jeans to a certain look and mass produced them. So that, you know, that year of sort of the origins of Levi's, what that, you know, demarcates is, is um, uh, the mass production of blue jeans. But yeah. again, we, people had been wearing overalls and some kind of denim work pants for, uh, you know, decades and hundreds of years prior. Yeah. So Levi's comes at that point in time, they manufacture it, they make it sort of the best they can for mass marketing. But the hundred years or so before, blue jeans are made out of denim. Was this just a commodity everyone in America had or Europe and everybody would just pure, like that was just the go-to outfit any working person would wear any day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, kind of. Yeah. So the, you know, there were a lot of different types of uh, woven cloth materials that were known to be durable. Um, so the origins of blue jeans really go back to a few different places in Europe and one of them is uh, Genoa, Italy, which was a port city. I think it's where, if I remember correctly, it's where Columbus, uh, you know, disembarked. Um, but um, so it was, a, it was a huge port city in Italy. And what they did for work clothes, and we're talking three, four hundred years ago, obviously, um, yeah. was they would sometimes take down old sailcloth, which obviously is canvas, and then, um, you know, cut cut it up into pieces that they could then sew up as pairs of work pants. So they sort of repurposed the old sailcloth that um, uh, after it had become tattered enough to take it down and replace the sails and canvas is kind of similar. I mean, if you think about what a canvas, a piece of canvas sailcloth is like, if you hold it in your hands, it's similar to denim. So um, one of the reasons why, um, jeans are called what they're called is that in France, they called the people from Genoa, les jeunes, uh, the, the Genoans, les jeunes, uh, which, you know, sounds something like jeans. And then, uh, you know, uh, during the industrial age, more cloth, uh, fabric was being created around Europe, uh, including in France. So this wasn't just Where, an American thing happening. Europe has their own gene history yeah, totally. too. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, denim came to America from Europe. Um, in I thought it came from Africa. Uh, indigo dye came from Africa. Okay. And other, uh, you know, sort of remote parts of. So the dye, the color that we associate with blue jeans, not just Africa, but you know, uh, other parts of the globe, 
uh, India, Southeast Asia, you know, uh, all kinds of places um, taught themselves how to work with indigo dye, which is kind of a um, painstaking process. But um, so people have actually been wearing blue colored work clothes, even not even before people were wearing pants. Um, you know, people would wear, you know, um, more medieval type uh, peasant clothing dyed blue in part because of the indigo dye, the availability of it, and in part because blue just kind of same reason we wear blue jeans today is that um, they effectively hide dirt. You know, they're better mm -hmm. at, you know, if you're wearing a pair of tan pants and you kneel down in your garden, your pants are going to look dirty, but you can kind of get away with it with your jeans on. And people <laughs> knew that hundreds of years ago. So that's why they're blue. Um, Didn't the, like one of the top sellers of blue jeans say something like, oh, you don't have to wash these. Like that was a selling point of his. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to wash, you can wash them less often than your other clothes, you know, or they can stand up to, uh, to, you know, being dirtied better than other clothes. Yeah, for sure. So just to finish, wrap up the, the thing about denim coming over from Europe, there's a city in France that uh, is called Nîmes, uh, N-I-M-E-S, um, where they, they had uh, textile manufacturing and they were in sort of like the late 1700s, early 1800s, one of the early producers of uh, mass produced denim cloth. And uh, which is uh, and so they call pants in 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 uh, France serge. So or cloth, uh, it's not pants, um, cloth. They call it serge. So they called this particular style, uh, the denim cloth, they called it serge denim, which is the other way that denim gets its name. Denim uh, becomes denim in, if you uh, anglicize it or Americanize it. So France and then England during the Industrial Revolution were mass producing denim. Um, and then uh, uh, textile manufacturers over here in America in the early 1800s began producing it, mass producing it as well. So uh, all of which is to say that this idea that we've been wearing blue jeans only since eight, the 1870s is kind of, you know, not not particularly accurate because people had denim cloth and were making denim work pants way before um, uh, anybody mass produced it, likely by Strauss. Before even that happened, what were people wearing? Yeah, I mean, people wore, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, um, well, well, different cultures wore different styles of things of of uh, of, of workwear, but um, pants as we know them were not really invented until maybe four or five hundred years ago. I mean, before that, people wore pantaloons, which mm -hmm. is uh, you know you know uh, not exactly. I mean, you know, sort of with the the breeches kind of looking thing where you know it's like uh, where where they they kind of buckle under or button under underneath the knee or whatever with the long stockings. Um, uh, you know, people wore, um, you know, sort of over, over shirt type things. Um, you know, but, but the idea of pants, you know, sort of, um, sticking each of your legs into a, a leg of a, of, of a pant, um, kind of came about, um, in Europe about, I'd say 400 years ago or so. So, you know, the idea was around, um, and it was definitely uh, considered to be a working class garment, like you wore pants because you were going to be doing manual labor and possibly getting dirty, while the sort of aristocrats or the upper crust wore um, 
you know, more like that pantaloon look that I was just describing. You can picture it. I mean, you can see, you can think of old uh, drawings from the, from, you know, sort of the late middle ages or the early, you know, sort of Renaissance era and the aristocrats are not wearing pants. They're wearing like, you know, knickers or pantaloons or whatever you want to call them. Right. But, uh, but, you know, not pants. So the, it was definitely sort of, you know, pants were, were uh, associated with the working class, even from, from those times. And that's what makes blue jeans so interesting where throughout history, they go through these ups and downs throughout the classes. But in this point of time, it's pure, the miners, factory farmers, and even the slaves themselves It was just whoever was ground dirty, wearing these blue jeans. Right. And they were falling apart. This well, at this point, yeah, it's around your waist, but it was pure. Um, everybody's wearing overall, so they're kind of like overall right. jeans, right? Right. So right. Um. So uh, I mean, you either wore so you yeah. I would say that the work pants really sort of originated with the idea of overalls. Um, and then when um. Uh, when they began manufacturing or, you know, when people started wearing pants, they would have to obviously wear suspenders to hold them up. Nobody was really wearing belts yet. You wore suspenders to hold your pants up, which makes them basically work like a pair of overalls where there's something hanging, you know, looped over your shoulders to hold the pants up. Um, uh, also, wait, in terms of dirt, like I get blue covers up the dirt, but why not make them brown? Yeah, well, so people did. I mean, some people did. I mean, uh there were brown. I mean, you know, we've gone, we've seen, you know, sort of like in the eighties, you know, I'm old enough to remember the eighties. Um, there was this whole wave of, uh, and I'm talking about the 1980s, not the 1880s. Um, yeah. uh, not that far uh, back. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there was this whole wave of like, you know, Oh, you know, jeans companies will sell you pairs in any color, you know, like you can get orange jeans, you can get red. Je- it's just a matter of dying yeah. them, right? Red jeans, white jeans. I remember people wearing white jeans, you know, I mean, you still can see, so occasionally see young women wearing white jeans, but so, I mean, you can dye them any color. Obviously there were a lot of brown and black denim work pants as well as blue. Um, so I would guess that it, it, it's safe to say that I mean, I'm talking about in the homespun era, in the uh, you know sort of earlier 1800s. A yeah. lot of them wore brown and black for that for that same reason, you know, because they covered dirt well. Um, I think it probably was not until the mass manufacture of Levi Strauss and other companies that kind of uh, everybody settled on the idea that the primary color would be blue. And the reason Levi becomes this empire that is today at that point right. in time was these denim these pants these overalls were just falling apart and then he figured out a way to sort of fix that problem so people didn't have to keep rebuilding new ones or fixing them right right so that's the innovation that levi strauss lays claim to i mean other than the mass manufacturing the key thing is that um you know if you're wearing a pair of blue jeans you 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 know of any any brand um there's almost surely a bunch of pressure points where on the pockets, um, especially that are riveted. There's little copper rivets, uh, inserted to, which is part of the w- reason that they're so durable. You know, you can shove your hands in your pockets thousands of times. Um, and it's going to take a really long time for them to wear out because the copper rivets are holding them in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that what, what happened was, um, Levi Strauss was a whole a, a, a dealer of wholesale goods out of San Francisco, so he sold, you know, wholesale materials 
to all kinds of merchants uh, around the San Francisco Bay Area. And one thing that he sold was denim cloth. And people use denim cloth for all kinds of things, upholstery or, you know, um, uh, bedding, you know, bed covers or curtains uh, and clothing. So he had a customer in Reno, Nevada uh, named Jacob Davis, who was a tailor. Jacob used to buy uh, cloth, you know, denim cloth and other things from Levi Strauss, his, his you know, wholesale dealer. And... Um, Jacob Davis on his own uh, realized that he had customers who were asking him. He had customers who uh, were working in the mines, in the, uh, you know, um, um, digging uh, in Reno, Nevada for coal or for, um, you know, valuables or whatever, you know, gold. And uh, so um, he realized that they were complaining that their work pants were tearing at the seams what they would do a lot often enough was take the nuggets or uh, that they had collected and shove them in their pockets and when their pockets were over full they would rip at the seams the pants would rip at the seams along the side seams or you know at the pockets or whatever so he had more than one customer complaining about that so he just sort of he had this sort of brainstorm uh what if i put the you know he had rivets that he used for horse materials for, you know, like, uh, horse, horse blankets and things like that. Um, right. and he just, he just got the idea to put the copper rivets in the pants. Um, he, Jacob Davis was not, you know, sort of a wealthy guy or anything. He was just a working class tailor. Um, when he got this idea, he wanted to patent it so that he would be the only one making jeans, um, with copper rivets. But he couldn't afford the cost of a patent application at the time was $100 to apply to the U.S. government for the patent. And he couldn't afford it. So he went to his to Levi Strauss, his wholesale uh, goods dealer, and said, I know you're a wealthier man than I am. I'll share this idea with you if you pay the patent fee, application fee. And Levi agreed. And then within a year or two, Jacob Davis, he, Levi's brought, Levi Strauss brought Jacob Davis to San Francisco to be a manager at the first Levi's manufacturing plant to show the workers how he wanted them, to, how the pants designed with the copper rivets. And that's sort of the, the classic innovation that, you know, lets Levi Strauss lay claim to the idea that they created the first blue jeans that we recognize today. In terms of history, when that, my first thought is this guy, Levi, is just going to say, take the idea tell him to screw off and then just keep it right. for himself so i'm glad he was actually like right. loyal to it he didn't just push the guy off to the side yeah yeah exactly right it's a good point i mean like he, he from what it sounds like he was just he was a solid person and not a uh you know not not looking to just screw somebody out of their good idea you know and they made a deal you know he said yes i'll pay the fee that you can't pay um and you know, will and you know it's his name that's on the pants. So it's you know they're not called Jacob Davises; they're called uh, <laughs> Levi's. So, but still, yeah, right. I mean, he gave the guy a, a job for life, and uh, yeah. So, I mean, I I do think that he was a a good a, a fairly a relatively good person. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Now, when I buy another pair, I I know yeah. I'm happy with the brand. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, what comes next is either do the jeans start getting upgraded and become more modern, or does the Great Depression hit? No. Yeah, no, they, I mean, they, they didn't really upgrade at all uh, for decades. Um, I mean, they're still not really all that upgraded. I mean, if you pull up 
every every so often you hear of another pair of blue jeans getting pulled out of a mine like somewhere out there like in nevada or the the, what the west um and And they're not that dirty because they're the indigo blue so you can't even tell they're dirty right exactly (laughs) no what would what the miners would do was um if they if their jeans finally wore out as they do i mean we've all worn a pair of jeans down to where the point where it's totally ripped all over the place and you kind of can't even wear them anymore although that's the fashion nowadays i know yeah uh, you know there's a certain a certain point where of no turning back you know you kind of can't wear them anymore so what the miners would often do is you know when you're when you're in a, a you know underground in a cave picking at the walls uh with a pickaxe you're creating seams in the walls and if they open up too much they you know there's a danger of the whole thing collapsing on you so they would shove stuff in the seams to keep the structure the the cave structure from collapsing on them and what they often did was took their old pairs of jeans and shoved them in there because you could obviously sort of slide them in and you know push them in however you needed to to make them fill the seams and so people still today sometimes who are exploring old mines um, find old pairs of Levi of blue jeans, Levi's or whatever, that are, that were tucked into the seams, and um, you know somebody famously found a pair that was pretty, you know, pretty recognizable as a as a, a early pair of five hundred ones from like eighteen eighty something. I forget what the year is, um, and sold them at auction. And uh, Levi Strauss, the company, actually owns them because they bought them back for like 30 something grand because they're like a perfect example of the oldest manufactured blue jeans. And they look basically like what we if you go out and buy a pair of 501s today, they basically look like that. So they haven't really changed. I mean, other than the style stuff that we'll get to, which is way down the road from where we are right now. Um, you know, they they really haven't changed much at all. The regular a regular pair of blue jeans like a 501 uh, Levi's um really hasn't changed all that much in 150 years which is pretty remarkable um given that almost everything else has changed in you know drastically in 150 years are the rivets that are on jeans today are those just for fashion or do they still hold them together the same way same thing they do the same thing i mean they definitely make the pants last longer uh um than they would otherwise without the rivets um the story that people love to tell is that there was a rich and i think it was in the documentary that you saw um the the um when they originally put the rivets on one of them was right in the center of the crotch um which is you know an obvious pressure point i mean you can you know uh, when pants blow out sometimes they blow out right in the crotch area and uh somebody i mean as the story goes nobody can quite verify it i don't think but as the story goes one of the one of the presidents of levi strauss himself the, the company itself after levi himself died a few years later, one of the um, company uh, presidents was at a campfire and was yeah. standing too close to the fire and realized that the crotch rivet was heating up un, uh, you know, uh, unpleasantly. So he ordered that removed and, you know, you know you're not going to find a pair of jeans with a crotch rivet anymore. But the one, you know, the rivets in, uh, uh, on the pockets and, uh, <laughs> you know, where we where we're familiar with them still do the job that they did then. You know, they just they just make the pants last longer by, uh, you know, reinforcing the pressure points. Nice. Yeah. I mean, once you have a good idea, if it's not right. broke, don't fix it. Totally. Exactly. That's pretty much exactly <laughs> what this is, a, you know, sort of ex- exhibit A of is the idea of blue jeans. Right. So then the Great Depression comes and the Great Depression and after, how does that affect the uh, blue jeans culture? Right. Well, um, 
the Great Depression didn't uh, change it necessarily, other than that a lot of the people who suffered through it were the kind of working class folks who wore blue jeans. And, you know, um, we, you know, we still have pictures in our minds of um, all those sort of sharecroppers and, you know, mm, uh, shoeless children and all that stuff who were struggling through the Great Depression with their families wearing either jeans or overalls, right? Um, so that's just really a, a, you know, sort of a, a, a reinforcement of the idea that blue jeans were up until that point almost exclusively for the working class. But one thing that happened right around that time was that um, some people who were a little better off in this country started to, for the first time, find an appeal in the idea that they might like to wear blue jeans too sometimes. Um, and, you know, in the early years, uh, in the, and we're talking like sort of the 20s and 30s, yeah. um, a lot of these people were sort of thinking, they, they, they wanted to wear, they, they took a liking to blue jeans. They had seen them in early Hollywood. Um, you know, the early years of Hollywood was, you know, very much dominated by Westerns, classic Western films about cowboys and Indians, right? Yeah. So they had seen the cowboys wearing blue jeans. And then in the 1930s, um, this phenomenon happened called the Dude Ranch um, phenomenon, which is uh, ranchers cattle ranchers and, you know, uh, farmers in the uh, Western part of the country were looking for ways, you know, they were sort of suffering because prices were way down because we were in the middle of the great depression. And a lot of them were looking for ways to, you know, monetize the land that they had in other ways. And some of them started opening what they called dude ranches and rather than, and they, they would move away from actual ranching and it was kind of like an Airbnb situation. They would add, they would they would advertise in like magazines and newspapers in the East and say, "Hey, you know, people with money, <laughs> yeah. basically, you should come out here and spend a week or two. If you're, you're thinking about taking a vacation, might be good to get out of the city, get some fresh air. You yeah. should come out here and stay in, on our dude ranch, where you can. And the idea was, you can basically come out and play cowboy for a week." So we'll teach you how to rope a steer, you know, we'll teach you how to herd the sheep, we'll teach yeah. you how to ride a horse, you know, and it became a big thing in the 30s, um, all these sort of Eastern socialites from New York City and other cities um, started, you know, making a point of making the, taking these vacations, take the train out West and stay on a ranch for a couple of weeks. And a lot of those folks, you know, obviously noticed that all the ranchers and farmers were wearing blue jeans and ended up buying a pair and bringing them back east and saying, you know what, when I'm working in the garden on the weekend in my Connecticut home or whatever, or when I'm, you know, just relaxing and walking through Central Park on the weekend, I'm going to wear my blue jeans, you know, and that was kind of a big turning point where um, for the first time, people who were sort of stationed above the working class took a liking to and started um, wearing blue jeans and the blue jeans industry, all the different companies that were manufacturing blue jeans at that point um, started marketing directly to people, uh, their product, not just as workwear, but also as sort of leisure wear stuff that you would wear at, uh, on, you know, when you're having a, uh, a day off, not, not when you're working, uh, when you're having a day at hard at work. And that also makes me think, I don't know if you've seen, but the new trend 
for like upper class fashion. I think like Kanye West started it. Yeah. You'll see a lot of people spend like five hundred dollars on a falling apart long sleeve that just like I guess the trend is looking kind of homeless. So it kind of makes me right. think of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it very similar. You know, um, mm-hmm. people thought they you know looked practical and they you know people started to realize that jeans make for whatever reason i mean for a multitude of reasons jeans make you look cool right they just do they make it you know people people in this country have always thought that cowboys looked cool um and uh so that was kind of the beginning of that and so then um just to expand on that a little bit people also started really dressing their kids especially their little boys in little cowboy outfits so again, we're talking about sort of 30s and 1930s, 1940s or so. Um, you know, 1930s, you were still most families were still ordering uh, a, a lot of their clothing through catalogs and getting them. You know, getting the it's like it's like the uh, Amazon Prime of the day. You know, like you, you ordered through the Montgomery Ward catalog. You ordered you know your kids' clothes, and they showed up in the mail three weeks later or whatever. And, you know, those those catalogs are full of little, you know, sort of little buckaroo ads, you know, like make your little kid, you know, get, get yeah. him the, you know, a toy gun and a pair of jeans and a flannel shirt and a little cowboy hat and make him dress up, let him dress up like a cowboy. And so that um, sort of social change led, I think, pretty clearly to a generation of young people in the 40s and then into the 50s who had grown up those kids, especially the boys, but also the girls dressing like little cowboys. And by the time they got to an age where they could make, you know, their clothing decisions on their own, they're young adults, not little yeah. kids. They didn't want to stop wearing blue jeans. They liked them. Right. And yeah, so they've been wearing them since they're a kid. Yeah. Right. So, and that, you know, I might be getting ahead of us a little bit, but that, you know, sort of coincides with the whole rock and roll era and all of that, you know, so um, that that really has a lot to do that that sort of uh, timeline has a lot to do with how blue jeans went from being workwear to, you know, just what, you know, supposedly cool people wore. And just before that era, one thing that the documentary mentioned is how mm-hmm. blue jeans were like, again, they were the working class. They were like work on the farm, all that stuff. But mm-hmm. in that era, women started wearing blue jeans and started being like the cowgirl like going out to work and i guess that kind of feeds into world war ii when the guys went off to war and they had to pick up right. those jobs right so there was actually a moment of that in during world war one um in the 19 teens right when um not to the extent as of, uh, as it was during world war ii but some women did go to work in the factories during world war one as well and subsequently discovered, you know, sort of the joys of wearing durable clothing like denim, not really pants so much as like sort of jumpsuits, like the cover, what they called coveralls, which was like, um, coveralls, coveralls, not overalls, coveralls. So it's like a, it's like a jumpsuit, like, like, uh, um, what a mechanic, what a car mechanic would wear, um, something that you could actually put on over whatever you were wearing. It's like a, a second layer. So that you wouldn't get dirty. Um, people actually kept pairs of denim coveralls in their cars because in those years, in the early years of automobile, um, you know, travel, um, cars broke down constantly. So everybody had to know how to be their own mechanic. You had to know how to, you know, fix a busted hose or you know, a, 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 you know, an oil leak or whatever. 
And so people who were on their way to work wearing their work clothes might have to stop and fix, you know, fix a tire or whatever on the car. So people kept right. a pair of denim coveralls in their car. You just slip into the whole, you know, slip, put the whole thing on um, and uh, over your clothes so you don't get your clothes dirty. And so women were wearing those a little bit during World War One. And then um, to go back to what we were talking about, about the dude ranch thing, a big part of that effect was not men so much as women going on these dude ranch. I mean, both, but, you know, it was really uh, sort of um, key to women go coming back from those dude ranch vacations and saying, I loved wearing my, you know, playing cowboy dress up and wearing my jeans there. I'm going to keep wearing them. So um, that was a big uh, turning point. And um, around that time, it was around that time that Levi Strauss, Lee, and other, uh, there was a company, a big company at the time who was a huge rival to them called Bluebell, which would eventually become uh, what we now call Wrangler jeans. All those companies started marketing specifically to women to say, you should be wearing blue jeans too, and you should buy your own pair. And just to add to, one more thing to that is by the 1940s, another thing happened for women wearing blue jeans. When, like after World War II, when um, teenage culture, which this, the idea of teenage, the rise of teenage culture, you can't say enough about how that impacted the idea of blue jeans because prior to World War II, there really was no such thing as a teenage culture. What ha like you either were a student or once you once you left high school and, you know, so many people before World War II didn't even quite finish high school. You know, they would drop out at a certain age, 16 or whatever. Yeah. Not that many, you know, the numbers of people going to college, going on to college were way low, you know, compared to today. So you would either you were either a student, which was effectively a kid or the minute you left school and went into the workforce, you were considered an adult. And if you still lived at home, you were considered part of the family's uh, money-making operation. So it wasn't until after World War II when sort of this idea of American middle-class affluence came about. And, uh, you know, suddenly we became what we picture the 50s being, right? Which is like every family is, you know, at least moderately affluent and has two cars in the driveway and ha owns their own home. Um, and kids for the first time ever in America, teenagers, could they didn't have to go immediately to work after school. They, st some of them stayed in school longer. Some of them started going, more of them started going to college. Um, and so this whole idea of the uh, creation of the teenager happened around the mid 20th century. And that had everything to do with uh, why blue jeans became so, so, so much the, the uh, dressing choice of, of a younger generation. So the point I was going to get to about women is that in the late forties, more and more young women started wearing their boyfriend's blue jeans and they would sort of like, you know, put, you know, tie a rope or a belt around them so they fit their skinnier waists. Like the modern day hoodie. Exactly. And they wore, they actually also wore their gray, the gray sweatshirts that the boys all wore at the time. So they would like wear, you know, it's like, you know, it's like wearing, you know, like old fashioned idea of wearing your boyfriend's letter, letter jacket, you know, from, uh, from high school, you know, to show that you belong to him or, you know, you guys belong to each other or whatever. Girls would wear, I mean, people still call them boyfriend jeans today. It's sort of like, you know, 
poorly fitting, like on purpose, you know, they're too baggy to, to look sexy, but like you're just comfortable in them. And, you know, you would wear your, your boyfriend's jeans and your boyfriend's sweatshirt to the point where there was this whole Life magazine, which everybody had Life magazine at the time. Everybody read Life magazine at the time. Um, there was this whole photo spread in one issue where they were basically complaining about how sloppy looking young girls had suddenly gotten because they didn't they weren't dressed up in like sort of poodle skirts and, you know, uh, the clothing that you think of uh, girls wearing to the dances or whatever. They just wanted to wear their boyfriend's jeans and sweatshirts. And so people like, you know, older people were complaining. I mean, it was kind of a very much of an early version of, you know, people complaining about baggy jeans in the 90s or whatever. You know, it was like, oh, you look so sloppy. Like, can't you dress up a little better? But, you know, we see it today. I mean, it was girls sort of, you know, feeling like, you know what, um, the boys are, look pretty comfortable in their jeans. I'm, I don't see why I shouldn't be wearing them, too. And they did it, you know. Yeah, fair enough. At this part, I actually had to tweet it because it was kind of surprising but the schools would actually ban the blue jeans because of this culture oh yeah that's a thing that happened in the 50s which is you know rock and roll was sort of terrifying the parents you know they sort of felt like if your kid was listening to rock and roll suddenly i mean it's it, it, again all this stuff is sort of goes in cycles it's like you know parents in the in the uh, 80s or 90s thinking if their kids were listening to hip-hop they must be like really getting into worse trouble and they must be bad kids so in the 50s, the kids who were wearing blue jeans and listening to rock and roll, <clears throat> the, the older generation started identifying them as, well, you're the troublemakers, right? Like, you must be. And I don't want my kid hanging out with you. To the point where blue jeans sales, after sort of, you know, sort of being on a skyrocketing ride up for years and years and years, because they were being purchased now, not just for work as workwear, but also for regular everyday wear. Suddenly in the late 50s, um, the cotton industry and the denim industry started realizing that blue jean sales were taking a nosedive. They were going down. And it was because of this sort of um, groundswell of parents complaining that they didn't, they didn't want their kids dressing in blue jeans because it meant they must be rock and roll kids, you know, i.e. bad kids. Yeah. So the cotton industry sort of mounted this full-on like PSA campaign to counteract that idea and they put together these advertisements basically like um, targeting moms to say you know wholesome kids wear blue jeans and if you're an, a mom in the 1950s, it's almost guaranteed that you're the one in the house who's still doing the laundry. Like there was no such thing as dads who, you know, would say, I'll do the laundry today, you know, for, yeah. uh, in those years. So they would say to the moms, they, they appealed to the moms by saying, are you sick and tired of like your kid coming home from school in their khaki pants and then going out to play and they get filthy dirty and then you have to wash the pants again? Well, why don't you buy them a pair of blue jeans and let them change into their blue jeans after school so they can put their khakis away, keep them clean, put their blue jeans on and they have play clothes. And it worked, you know, like yeah. it, it kind of changed the idea, the perception that blue jeans were only for the um, uh, delinquent kids. And, and, and the, the last point I'll make about that is that by 19, by the early 1960s, um, it had worked so well. That wholesome kids, you know, this campaign that wholesome kids also wore blue jeans, that when John F. Kennedy was elected president and formed the Peace Corps, 
which is you know this volunteer program sending um, young people overseas to volunteer. Um, they were outfitted in blue jeans, so like the uniform of the Peace Corps was uh, like a matching outfit of of wearing blue jeans, and uh, so clearly the kids who were volunteering for the for the Peace Corps were what the adults would consider to be the good kids, the quote unquote good kids, and so the campaign totally worked. So by the early '60s, the the uh, sales started to pick up again, and uh, the blue jeans, uh, the denim industry was happy. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely huge for them, right. and. I remember watching a documentary on Harley Davidson. Yeah. And today their stock, like long story short, their stock is very overvalued because basically Harley Davidson, everyone knows they were this wicked biker gang back in the olden days, but that trend hasn't has been fading away and isn't catching on anymore. But yeah. that biker gang, what I saw is they would wear these blue jeans too. So once the like with the rock and roll music. Yeah, that's parent, part of it for sure. Yeah, it was that same time frame and it continued. Yes, absolutely. So there's a famous film, uh, 1953, I'm pretty sure it came out. It's called The Wild One. And it's kind of a corny. If you watch it today, it's kind of corny. Um, You know, uh, but the idea is that there was this real incident in like 1947 or so in a small town in Northern California called Hollister, where um, one day, like this sleepy town, one day, a bunch of biker dudes, you know, sort of early version of, you know, Harley guys, you know, take, going out for a Sunday cruise or whatever, right? Like, you know, when, you get, when you're on the road on Sunday and all of a sudden a huge group of, you know, a dozen Harley dudes, you know, with their mufflers roaring comes up behind you, you, you can't help but notice them, right? So this is an early version of that. A bunch of biker dudes who were all war veterans from World War II, um, drove into this tiny little sleepy town of Hollister, California and made a lot of noise and went to the diner and kind of wreaked a little havoc and, you know, tried to talk up the girls or whatever. And then they started drinking and they kind of were there all day and a couple of the guys got wasted and it became like a big thing where the town, this little sleepy town was terrorized by these biker guys. So, um, a few years later, someone wrote a screenplay that became this feature movie called The Wild One, which starred Marlon Brando as sort of the head biker guy. And by this point, Marlon Brando was already really well known as like a very much uh, sort of um, untamable, you know, wild man of acting. You know, this young guy who represented like sort of a wild youth culture, um, you know, street. Everybody recognized him from Streetcar Named Desire. Um um, and uh, I'm trying to remember the timeline. I, I can't remember if he had already been in on the waterfront or not, but I mean, he was, yeah. you know, the, the, the biggest thing in acting. Um, and he, pl- in, in the wild one, he played a fictional version of the leader of this biker gang terrorizing the town. So, um, you know, people were very familiar with that movie and it kind of glamorized this, re- you know, sort of rebel idea of the biker guys as, um, you know, uh, rebels who you, you know, um, weren't going to follow, uh, you know, the, uh, small town America's rules and all that kind of stuff. And they definitely, I mean, he famous Brando and all the other bikers in this movie famously wore the black leather jackets and the, and the Levi's, um, that 
we still picture today as, you know, sort of the classic biker outfit. And it kind of just cemented the idea in everybody's heads that, um, that that's, that's what a biker looks like. It, to the point where obviously, um, uh, you know, the Harley guys of today still wear the same thing, you know, um, Hells Angels and, and any other biker groups that go out on a Sunday, um, they're still wearing the same thing, the leather vests and the leather jackets and the, and jeans, of course. Right. So that, that's when that idea first took hold. Um, and it, it was with that movie and that, and that, and it was lined right up with rock and roll culture and all of that stuff that I've been talking about, about, you know, sort of teenagers becoming independent and, you know, and, and, and living their own lifestyle and, kind of sort of terrorizing their parents, you know, um, <laughs> who were scared that of, you know, oh my God, my kid's turning into a bad kid, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, same thing that continues still today. Exactly. But one thing with blue jeans is old fashion trends, what's cool now won't be cool 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And same with the past. So it's odd that blue jeans are still famous today. But right. at that point in time, what comes next is pretty much the hippie movement, correct? Right. I mean, if some of that came out of that biker culture, um, you know, the the hippie generation uh, definitely, to some extent, looked to that biker culture as you know for 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 uh, visual image imagery, right? The flannel shirts and the leather vests or whatever, and the and the jeans, right? They seem kind so, of opposite, like strong biker versus yeah. like peace and love hippie. Is right. it just because they're both counterculture or? Yes, exactly. They're because they're both counterculture. And there was a yeah. lot of, there was more crossover between the two than you might imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're familiar with the, do you know the, uh, the Rolling Stones movie, Gimme Shelter, where there, it's a 1970 concert that goes really bad um, and, and Hell's Angels are supposed to be providing security but they kind of end up beating down a few people and somebody gets killed it's pretty brutal actually and it's kind of supposed to be the um the uh people have often called that particular concert that went wrong the end of the 60s like the end of the idea of peace and love right because it like this it was supposed to be another peace and love concert like woodstock or whatever and it went so bad and it went bad because um, the a bunch of hell's angels who were supposed to be providing security actually turned on the crowd and um, ended up killing somebody. Um, you know, beating up a lot of people and then ended up killing somebody. But prior to that, a lot of the early hippie culture had a lot more crossover. There were a lot of biker dudes in the hippie culture and a lot of hippie dudes in the biker culture. Um, a lot more than people realize. Um, and um, there's a reason why the hell's angels were brought to be the, the to supposedly act as security at this concert, which happened at a place called Altamont in uh, um, in, in Northern California. Um, so that's what it's known as the Altamont concert, right? Um, yeah. um, you know, I think the Rolling Stones thought, well, the Hell's Angels know these dudes. You know, they know this this crowd. Um, but um, it it went bad. But uh, but there was a lot of crossover, a lot more crossover, and. Uh, a very similar look, obviously, in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, with the obvious exception that, you know, there were some um, biker dudes who didn't mind um, throwing throwing hands every once in a while or, you know, were, were not um, averse to violence, whereas, you know, the average hippie was supposedly totally averse to violence and, you know, just wanted peace and love for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you heard, but 
recently there's a concert by a rapper named Travis Scott. Oh, and yeah. yeah, so I guess yeah. that concert trend's different, but still yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trav uh yeah. My uh I mean I'm old enough that my kids are into Travis Scott, but I listen to some of him through them, you know, and, uh, yeah, that's not good PR for him. He didn't, he, he didn't, uh, that, but that's been happening in the concert industry for a long time, you know, like, um, um, people, uh, you know, not taking care of security concerns and then people getting injured because it's a big place with a lot of rowdy people. Um, and especially that sort of general admission thing is when stuff gets ugly, you know, people get crammed into places where there's not enough room for everybody who's there or whatever. And it's, uh, it's not pretty. Yeah. I was at a concert six months ago and I saw something there that I don't want to share on the radio because yeah. it's just such a bad, like, uh, it, yeah. it's a dangerous world. It can be, Yeah, it can be <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. One thing I found funny that the documentary addressed yep. was Levi was actually a against this counterculture for a bit they were resistant to it but then either woodstock or another festival maybe 10 years later now they're like using that image putting the word Levi at the bottom right right and they right. feed into it they're like oh we love this so we'll sell right. we'll market to you and make you the next thing uh, totally i mean and it wasn't just levi's i mean they, you know it was kind of goes back to that idea that i was saying that you know in around the turn of the 19 around 1960 um, you know, the parents were concerned that kids wearing blue jeans sort of automatically branded them as bad kids. Um, and, the, you know, the manufacturers were worried about their marketing image. Right. But, you know, when they realized that um, a new sec sector, you know, is is wants to buy their product, they quickly changed their tune, you know, and that, that's what happened at Levi's not and not just at Levi's, but at all of the companies and they quickly realized, okay, we should actually be advertising to these folks um, to increase our sales, not worry about um, how they're wearing them or what they're represent, how they're, you know, representing our, you know, sort of pure image as, you know, America's workwear or whatever. And that brings it back to like this, it's a counterculture thing. So how do blue jeans again, go from this counterculture, like hippie environment to I guess people wearing them at work or presidents yeah. wearing them and this right. formal thing once again. So um, in my book, I talk a lot about sort of popular culture. Obviously, I've talked about the you know biker movie in the fifties and the you know rock and roll, and then you you know we're talking about hippies. This is the period. So in the nineteen seventies, this is the period that everybody thinks of as the disco era, right? Seventies um, yeah. into the eighties, when. A lot of the people who were the age of the youngest hippies in like 1969 are now becoming adults. They're, you know, by the 80s, they're sort of taking, uh, you know, they've totally changed their lifestyle. They're taking, you know, the 80s, as everybody remembers, those of us old enough to, to remember, was kind of like this big business era when everybody, you know, wore, you know, you wore a suit and you took some job in the financial industry or whatever. And, you know, you're trying to make as much money as you possibly can. And it's when that whole idea of like, you know, the one who dies with the most toys wins that stuff came about, which is a total about face from the yeah. hippie culture of like, let's just live off the land and support each other. And, you know, um, live in communes with, you know, like 30 people who are not related, you know, just all living together and supporting each other and all that stuff. Totally different. Uh, yeah. you know, style of life. Right. So what's funny is that in the, in, in the early years of that sort of go, go, like, uh, you know, I'm going to get as much money as I can era. 
was epitomized in the culture by the disco craze, which is like upscale people um, dancing and, you know, changing the dr their drug of choice, you know, to much more expensive drugs and all that stuff. Um, but what's interesting to me is that once again, there's not really a clean break between like, okay, hippie ended here and the disco and like, you know, financial eighties era started here. It was much more of a blending and like there's much less of a clean break from one to the next. So hippies in the early seventies, uh, started, started opening like boutiques to sell, I mean, frankly, a lot of them were like kind of head shops where, you know, you'd buy pipes or whatever, just like you would today. Right. Yeah. But they also sold like posters and maybe records or whatever to, you know, the stuff that hippie kids would want to buy. And they certain boutique owners, you know, like little independent, independent store owners would from all around the country, different places started selling clothes like hippie type clothes. And a few of them started manufacturing their own styles of blue jeans, knowing that every hippie every you know sort of card carrying hippie wore blue jeans and loved their blue jeans yeah. so slowly but surely more designers more young independent local designers started creating what they considered to be more stylish blue jeans for the hippie culture and so now i'm thinking of like um bell-bottom jeans you know if you picture the 70s you think of these bell-bottom jeans some of which are like absurdly big you know wide at the bottom where yeah. you where your pants meet your shoes right and uh hip what they used to call hip huggers which are like kind of low on the hips jeans that look pretty sexy on women and you know if you're looking at men on men too you know <laughs> like just sort of more like a stylish look than just a regular sort of boxy um, uh, you know, classic 501 workwear jeans. So hippies were really the first to start making more stylish blue jeans. And that kind of over the course of the next five or 10 years started to um, open the doors for what became known as the designer jeans era, which is during the disco era, hip, uh, jeans for the first time sort of went upscale. They went up to the sort of uh, upper, well, I guess I mentioned earlier that the upper crust started wearing blue jeans in the 30s when they went to the dude ranches. So it kind of brings that back, that same idea. Like yeah, that's the exactly. second wave of it. Exactly. That's right. So by like the disco era and then the early 80s, uh, there's all these companies, you know, Calvin Klein's famously and Jordache jeans and all these what what we call the designer jeans which usually had a name brand attached to them. And that was the whole status thing was like, you're wearing a fancy pair of blue jeans because they have a name attached to them. Gloria Vanderbilt, who was um, a, 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 an heir to the Vanderbilt, um, you know, billions, basically, I don't know, it was billions probably in, in those days. Um, you know, the, the Vanderbilt family fortune put her name on what was basically the first pair of designer jeans. Um, and, uh, you know, sold a ton of them. And then all these other companies came in her wake and started selling brand name jeans. And they were much, much sort of crisper looking. They didn't look as sort of raggedy as the hippie jeans did. Um, and um, this is the first time that sort of um, uh, upscale, you know, big money folks started wearing blue jeans as dress clothes. And, um, you know, what first started like wearing them to fancy restaurants and stuff like that in the eighties. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it, it's just another example of how every generation since World War II basically has found a way to take a classic pair of blue jeans and do something different with them to make them uh, a little bit different than whatever their parents' generation was wearing in terms of blue jeans. Yeah, that carries until today. Like even now, I'll see different collabs. Like maybe even Off White will make a pair of blue jeans. Like, right. or you can get some like real nice ones for two hundred dollars that are real soft and comfortable, like sweatpants. Right. You can right. get some Kohl's forty dollar ones that not as comfortable, but hey, they fit. Totally right. That's right. So every generation since the eighties has done that. I mean, like in the nineties, the trend was that the, the super baggy hip hop jeans, right? Like yeah. that every parent of course wanted to complain about, right? Like you can't wear your jeans halfway down your ass. Like I can see your underwear, right? Like, but the, that was just another generation saying, you know what? We, we love blue jeans, but not the way you wore them. We want to wear them differently. Right. And then in the early two thousands, you know, the, the trend in blue jeans was like the sort of skinny jeans of the hipsters, you know, the Brooklyn kids who, wore, you know, wore super skin tight jeans that anybody over say 30 couldn't pull off because you you know you start getting you start getting middle uh, your middle aged dad body or whatever and you can't wear them anymore and that was kind of like you know we're the hip, we're the hips the hip generation we're the hipsters we uh, you know we can wear these because we're young enough we're still skinny enough to wear to, to pull them off and you know there's been this endless wave of, uh, of 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 ways that every generation has worn their blue jeans to keep them basically the same piece of clothing but they look different. Uh, you know, every, every five or 10 years is a, a new look to blue jeans that, um, is meant to sort of scandalize their parents. I mean, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this right around 2000, there was this big thing called low rise blue jeans or same, right around the same time as the skinny jeans, but low rise blue jeans on girls were like super low waisted so that, you know, you could totally show off your tramp stamp, you know, your <laughs> lower back, uh, tattoo, and, you know, some of them were so low that, you know, you're sort of in danger of, you know, like revealing a little more than you maybe want to. Oh, those are still um, around. Yeah, totally. But, you know, but they're also I mean, I teach college now. A lot of the girls wear high waisted jeans, like almost like crazy high waisted so that they're like up above your belly button or whatever, which is much more of like a modest look than low waisted jeans. But it, in around 2000. Low waisted jeans were, you know, yet another scandalous thing that, you know, mothers would look at young women and go, oh, my God, I would never wear my jeans that low, you know, and then you'd see some moms adopting it, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I still feel young enough. I should be able to wear them, you know, and then that trend dies off a few years later right? because of I that, mean, just like every other trend. Right. A lot of them come back around, you know, like yeah. 20 years later, 10 years later, whatever people go, oh, I kind of like that look. I want to do that again. Yeah, still haven't seen the bell bottoms, and I think I'm okay with that one not coming back. Actually, they did. I mean, yeah. they, I just saw a woman yesterday. Um, you know, I was outside of uh, Five Below, and a woman was walking out of the store uh, wearing a very big, like a pretty new, obviously, and very big pair, wide pair of bell bottoms. I mean, that, that bell bottom thing comes back every once in a while where people are like, the 70s are back, you know? Um, so. So pretty much blue jeans just throughout history or like at least for the recent longest time. It's just you want to see what the trends are. You look at blue jeans. Blue jeans are the go to twisted yep. in this direction or twist in that direction to make right. whatever statement. They're the statement makers. Right. And I guess recent ones, I would say, like you said, the um, like low cut and those different styles. I think the most mm -hmm. recent trend would have to be the ripped jeans. Oh, yeah. But that, again, is something that we saw like so 
in the 90s that was a big thing because of like bands you know grunge bands like nirvana they famously you know wore really ripped jeans and uh people love that so that was when i think well 80s or 90s was the first time that a, a, a few certain companies decided to actually make ripped jeans not just sell you a regular pair of jeans that you would eventually wear down and rip but you know they for the first time people i mean people were outraged at the time 30 years ago or so what are you you're gonna sell me a pair of jeans that's already ripped even recently i remember that totally totally you know i mean people some people some older folks still complain about it but plenty of people for plenty of people it's totally natural to buy a pair of ripped jeans because they look fun right (laughs) yeah and that brings blue jeans up till today that's the history and yeah james sullivan thanks so much for coming on the show Oh, totally. Uh, happy. I mean, you know, it's obviously a subject I'm not uh, shy about talking about, so happy to do it. And in terms of your book, is there, like, what was the most shocking thing from your book writing, or what was the most shocking thing you found about it? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just like sort of a fact nerd, you know, like I love popular culture, and I like the ways that, you know, we can read stuff into, I mean, like the whole idea about blue jeans, I had, I, you know, I still have people who say to me, like, huh, you wrote a whole book about blue jeans, that's a weird subject, you know, like, I can't, <laughs> can't imagine, but there's so much of interest that, it, you know, what I, what I think is the most important thing is that blue jeans have this weird place in our culture that you it's hard to think of anything else that works the way they do they're like you know at this point everybody from 8 to 80 basically where is familiar with wearing blue jeans you know uh, it's not like you know maybe 50 years ago an 80 year old would say i'm too old to wear blue jeans now of course 80 year olds wear blue jeans everybody grew up wearing blue jeans and so it's almost like they're an, a, a uniform for americans but on the flip side we all wear blue jeans to look as individual as we can. So it's this weird idea to me that like, they're like the most common piece of clothing we all have. And yet, because you can wear them in so many different ways and with so many different things, they make each of us feel like an individual, like we're expressing ourselves, you know, we're wearing our personality, you know, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the outside by the way we wear our blue jeans and uh and what we choose to wear them with so it's this funny little paradox of like they are almost like a uniform at this point because you'd be hard pressed to stop somebody on the street and say do you have you know and have them tell you oh i don't own any blue jeans of course they do you know yeah i had a few Um, stats one of the stats i said in like the introduction was the average american has seven blue jeans that blows my mind right exactly right Yep. Seven pairs. Yep. And yeah, like just walking around today, I'm like, all right, I'm doing a topic on blue jeans. I mean, I'm look around and I look and majority of people have blue jeans. I'll see maybe a person who's not too keen or they just basic whatever outfit. I can tell they're wearing some basic blue jeans, but then I'll see somebody with some dark blue jeans or I'll see like all the different styles. It really tells a lot. We hear often enough, like the fashion industry, every, every so often we'll say, Nobody's wearing blue jeans anymore. People are wearing leggings. People are wearing, you know, in the 90s, people were people are wearing khakis, you know, and, and, you know, more recently, people are wearing joggers or whatever, you know, nobody wants blue jeans anymore. And then like literally within a year, almost every time, you know, the, 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 the world of young people will, will, you know, throw that idea back in the fashion industry's face and start wearing jeans again. I mean, I heard it a few years ago 
And then I started teaching at the college level and, you know, almost all of my students wear blue jeans on any given day, you know? So anybody who, I mean, they said it in the documentary, they're like the cockroach. I think they said it in the documentary or the, I've heard these guys who made the documentary say it. They're like the cockroach of, uh, of, of clothing, you know, like you can't get them. You can't, you, you can't get rid of them. They're, they're always going to be with us. And I think that's probably true. Do you think you're going to do a book on like khakis or a different pair of pants? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, w- I would have no interest in that. No, the whole idea. I mean, when I wrote my book, I sort of was like, you know, I'm not a fashion expert. I'm a popular culture expert. I've been writing about, um, you know, um, popular culture for my whole life as a journalist, journalist. And, um, so I approached the story of blue jeans as, you know, not from, you know, I would not write, I would not see myself writing another book about any kind of, um, you know, clothing. Um, but blue jeans have so much to say about who we are as a society and who we think ourselves to be as Americans and how the whole rest of the world wears blue jeans in part because they learn how to do so from watching American culture <clears throat> and they want to look like cowboys too, or rock and rollers or whatever, you know, there's so much, uh, cultural, depth to the idea of blue jeans that that's why i wrote it you know i can't imagine myself wanting to write a book about khakis or (laughs) the 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 business suit or whatever you know um let somebody else do that (laughs) sounds good and a final question is there a final message that you want to tell the audience um about blue jeans or (laughs) anything blue jeans any your book like anything whatever you want to say yeah, you know, I mean, I think we've kind of covered it. I mean, I just, I, I, I think that, uh, that you know, if they, if they, if they take a look around, they're going to realize that whatever generation they feel like they're a part of, um, that generation helped define itself by the way it wore its blue jeans. You know, um, if you're a '90s kid, you might still be wearing baggy blue, baggy jeans. Or, you know, if you're a '2000s kid, you might still be wearing skinny jeans. Yeah. I, I think that you know, no matter what generation you you feel like you're a part of you've probably defined yourself on, on some level in the in terms of the way you wear your clothes and your and your blue jeans and that was james sullivan to see his book or see the documentary based off his book you can click a link in the description people tuning in through the radio be sure to go to podcasttheway.com there you can see the podcast you can stream on any streaming service you want And there's just more content. I highly recommend it. Go to podcasttheway.com. Share the show. Give a five-star rating, like, review. Uh, It sucks to have to ask, but every little bit does make a difference. So I really appreciate it if you do. Again, that's podcasttheway.com. This is FM 91.7, WHOS stores at the top of the hour. And also 90.3 WRIU, South Kingston at the top of the hour. And as always... Deuces. This has been The Way Podcast. If you want to know more about The Way Podcast, go to podcasttheway.com. Mm-hmm.